You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Our series, as we've uh, been going through these uh, these lies that are uh, that are shaping our world, and I'd like for you, it's going to take me a while to get there, but if you could turn to Matthew 7, and uh, as you know, in this time here, we've kind of been, uh, we'll kind of jump all over uh, kind of the map, and then we'll get into our verse-by-verse through Mark at 10 o'clock, but we are, we're on our 10th lie, and we could literally be on the series forever, but we've been enjoying it throughout the summer. And uh, this week and then next week, we will uh, conclude uh, this uh, particular series. But we started with the lie that the world says you can believe whatever you want. You know, just just believe whatever you want. And we looked at all those isms of just how society has changed over the centuries. And uh, just believe whatever you want. Then we dealt with the lie that life is simply random. You know, it's just like you take a roll, take a pair of dice, and you just roll it, completely uh, eliminating the uh, the sovereignty of God in any in any way. And remember, all of these they all kind of build on each other. And now we're kind of in some of the some of the fruits or some of the results of these early on lies that we looked at over two and a half months ago or so. And then we talked about how God cannot be good or real because there's so much suffering in the world. And so, you know, when you talk about just the randomness of life and where we were born and the ailments and all that, ah, there's too much suffering in the world. God can't be real. God can't be good. And then we dealt with the lie of our good outweighs our bad. And all of these are on our website. And I'd encourage you, uh, remember what the purpose of the series was, was to equip us with as we are doing life on life with people in just in our jobs, neighborhoods, wherever we do life with people and we're interacting with them, they're shaped by these lies. And uh, we don't. We want to make sure that we're not. Uh, certainly these things creep into the church as well. Uh, but uh, you want to be able to uh, engage with them. And so today is going to be a, uh, is going to be a very doctrinal lesson in that I'd encourage you to write references down. And uh, it, it also I'll have you turn to quite a few places. But Today's topic is not necessarily a popular one, okay? Neither would the answer of our good does not weigh our bad. It's all bad apart from Christ, right? And he's the only one. Then we talked about how tolerance is the, is the noblest virtue. It's the highest of virtues. And even the way they define tolerance is so not the way the word is legitimately defined or the way it was originally intended. Uh, it was the word tolerance is you, allow, you tolerate some other opinions, and you can have meaningful discussions, but that's not the way they view it today. Today is you just tolerate whatever I want to do. You just have to be okay with me, and you don't get to say anything about it, and that's like the highest of virtues, and we talked about that, and how the goal of life is personal happiness. What a lie that has shaped our world, that what you own has lasting value, and it defines you, the stuff that you accumulate in this world. Everyone is basically good, at the core, we talked about that. And then last week, we looked at there's no need for God because you can change yourself. And so this morning, we're going to come back into kind of this overarching idea of 
lies that are shaping our world. Before I give you the lie, I want to just give you a few thoughts here. We are all stalked this morning by an insatiable, bloodthirsty killer. This murderer never misses, and he has 100% success rate. Nothing can shield us from his attention. Nothing can mitigate his relentless onslaught and slaughter. And that, of course, is death itself. And it will visit us all apart from the rapture. And we'd, we'd love for a rapture. I, I, amen for that. There's no scientific advances. There's no technological breakthroughs and no miracle drugs, drugs that offer an escape from death's destruction. Only God can take someone out of this life into eternity without there being death. And God has done it so rarely that you and I have even memorized the names of the people that have done it, okay? Or that God uh, allowed. And so it's not something that, uh, that, that, that God does. He does it so sparingly. So in some ways, those that are blessed with longevity of life know the personal sting of death more than most people. They've lost their spouse. They've lost their parents. They've lost many of their close friends. The longer you live, the more of this becomes a reality. And so however it visits you, uh, the, the, the pain of death, the pain of loss, it, it forces us to kind of come to a position on this inevitable demise. And most of the world clings to a mindset of may they rest in peace, right? It's a phrase that is very, uh, very familiar. And honestly, that's understandable. I mean, who likes the idea of, you know, just this mortality's unstoppable march in every one of our lives? The moment we take our first breath, we are closer and closer to our last breath. And so we understand kind of some of their sediments, but sinful man is going to cling to hope in anything that they can find. And that has what has led to this familiar lie. And here's the lie. Lie, lie number 10. We'll do one more next week. And that, is, and that is this. That death is a pleasant transition. That death is a pleasant transition. Now listen. This is not going to necessarily be the easiest of, uh, of lessons. Because this, this, you know, this hits home. The pervasive idea is not built on evidence, nor is it built on experience. People simply believe it because the alternative is too unthinkable to bear. Nobody wants to compound the grief. Nobody wants to compound the sense of loss that they are already feeling. Okay, So no, nobody wants to do that. And so with this lesson, just like last week and the week before that, I think we can go too far on some things. And so we ought to be sensitive and we ought to care for people. Absolutely. But, you know, there's, there's a deadly presumption that nobody wants to presume that a recently departed friend or family member who died in his or her sins will spend eternity in hell. No one, no one wants that. No one, wants to, no one really wants to grapple with that. We under. We, we understandably do not want to speculate about damnation, especially regarding loved ones. Sarah and I, over the years, we've, uh, we've, we've been there with you all. We've, we've been in the trenches with you all. And some of you, there's, there, there, there's, there's great angst and burden over lost loved ones. And, and we get that. And we don't want to just be like, 
well, they, they, they died in their sins. And no, I, I get that. But we must not also make the same mistake in the opposite direction. We must not assume our loved ones are in heaven just because we want them to be there. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm trying to deal with ultimately, if you allow me to teach a lot this morning, to, to kind of help with a line. Because if we just want them to be there, listen, that's dangerous self-deception. All right? And so it dilutes the clear teaching of Scripture and corrupts the gospel of Christ. One case is, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to divide. I'm not trying to uh, pinpoint something here. Just, just, just let me read this. The aftermath of Nelson Mandela's death. Okay? Many Christian leaders, they rush to, to kind of publish their uh, sentiments of loss and presumption of eternal reward. Ultimately, we don't know someone's heart. We don't know where their ultimate state is apart from their testimony of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so in a response to Christendom, so to speak, with all of their wonderful sentiments and things like that of, you know, resting in peace and so on and so forth, and certainly a civil rights icon, 100%. All right, but uh, one Zambia pastor his name is Conrad Mabui. I don't know if I said that correctly, but just take it for what it's worth. Uh, here, here, here's what he said. My chief concern is with the ease with which many evangelical Christians have used the words rest in peace as they have said farewell to Mandela. I'm also an evangelical. I take my Bible seriously and interpret literally. In my understanding of the Bible, the only persons who will rest in peace in eternity are those who have repented of their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ as their only hope of acceptance with God. He goes on to say, the Bible says in John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Conrad goes on, I have a friend who once worked in the Zambian High Commission in South Africa. He wrote a book entitled, Why is God Silent About Mandela? It was a clever way of asking the question, why is Mandela silent about God? He noted that although Mandela did not vilify religion in general and Christianity in particular, neither did he say anything that showed his faith in God and especially in his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, Mandela had a church background. However, any evangelical will know that growing up in church does not make one a Christian. You must personally turn to God in repentance and put your trust in Jesus Christ. On this matter, Mandela was silent on this matter. So I am not here this morning standing before you to try to judge whether or not he knew Christ as a Savior or not. I use that as an illustration of let's just be cautious before we, again, we don't want to celebrate someone in damnation, but let's also, let's be cautious before we just assume everybody is on their way to heaven. Again, that's not our job, right? That is God's job. You and I, I'm kind of getting to my conclusion already, you and I are only to preach Christ. You and I are to preach the gospel. And the, you know, the, the, the ramifications of that are the Holy Spirit leading in their life and they trust Him as Savior. And so as always the case, reading those who, or regarding those who die without any concrete evidence of saving faith, it is foolish to speculate about what we do not know. So we should not read repentance and faith into the past lives of the dead, and we must not imagine that the departed spiritual fruit begins to blossom, you know, even after they die. So you and I must also not ignore what we do know. In the rush to usher friends and heroes into sainthood, so to speak, believers often whitewash the very lives that they're hoping to celebrate. 
but there's no spiritual benefit uh, to just to, to just live this way. Pretending that lost loved ones lived better lives than they did might help us sleep a little bit better, but it dishonors the Lord and it devalues His righteous standard. So you're there in you're there in Matthew seven. Now I, I'm going to have you turn a lot. We've got plenty of time this morning. I want you to turn. I want you to see, and I want you to allow me to build the case that death isn't just this wonderful transition for for all. Because if you've been at a funeral lately, you kind of you can kind of see some of these sentiments. Again, again, I'm not trying to be so hard nosed on it that you know we just. It's God, you're again in hell. Okay, I, 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 again, you don't celebrate either, uh, either sides. Okay, look what it says in verse number 13. Jesus speaking on Sermon on the Mount. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereafter. Listen, that's the broad way. That's the direction that every single person that ever has taken their first breath is going in on that direction. We were shaped in iniquity. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We'll see that verse here later. So this is, you know, this is kind of kind of what everyone is going in in this direction. Verse number 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. In other words, there's got to be a turning, right? There's got to be a repentance. The direction change. You're turning from your sin. You're turning to Christ. And so hell, hear me, hell is heavily populated with people who did not expect to be there. That was Matthew 7. 7, 13 through 14. Okay? Again, we're going we're gonna to turn a lot of different places. It's not just exegeting a passage here this morning. Whether through rebellion or self-deception, they're going to spend eternity separated for God in torment. And that should make us shudder. Absolutely. That should, you know, that, that should rock us at our core. Christ made it very clear in Luke's Gospel. Turn to Luke 12, please. Turn to Luke chapter number 12. I'm going to try to give you the time to turn, to write if you would like. Luke chapter number 12. I promise you, it gets better. The news gets a lot better. But good news isn't good news until you hear the bad news, right? That's what we often say. Luke 12, verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So the biblical reality is that death is not a pleasant transition for anybody who their life ends up in hell. Say, hell's not really preached on today. Hell is a, is a biblical truth. It's a real place. And whether it's preached on today uh, by churches or not, that's, that, that's, that's actually a problem. Okay, and so it's not, a, it's not a pleasant transition. Scripture tells us that we will all, we'll, we'll all stand before uh, God, so to speak, in a heavenly courtroom. And it says, and it is appointed, Hebrews 9, 27, and it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So either we're going to answer for our life, and we'll talk about that here more in a moment, or we're going to allow Jesus' record, Jesus' life, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' obedience to speak for you. Either the choice is ours, and 
I know basically everyone in here. I can't. I don't fully know your heart. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're letting Him speak for you. Okay. But if we're going to speak for ourselves, that's not going to be a great transition. And here's why. Turn to Revelation chapter number 20. Death ultimately leads to leads to judgment. Now you and I know that if we are crucified in Christ, we we live. We die with Him in His death, and then we rise again with Him in His resurrection. That's why Easter's so awesome. That's why we celebrate it. But for those that for those that die apart from Christ, listen, it it doesn't lead to a happy place. The Book of Revelation paints a vivid, frightening picture here of a day of judgment. Look at verse number eleven, Revelation twenty. And I saw a great white throne. We went verse by verse through Revelation, um, and Him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Without taking so much time, but when, when, when God told Adam and Eve, He said, listen, you can eat of every tree of, in the Garden of Eden. Enjoy it. What grace. Enjoy it all. But there's one that you can't. The one that's in the midst, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you eat that tree, you're going to die. Well, there was the physical death, which was going to take place at some point. But God was, of course, foretelling of a spiritual death. And you're reading that here, that, 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 that second death. And that is eternal damnation in a lake of fire. And what is it according to? Their works. It's according to their, it's according to their deeds. The Apostle John, he makes it abundantly clear that the depth, that this death represents the most horrifying transition imaginable for someone that doesn't trust Christ. These books, they contain the records of every thought, every word, every deed of every unsaved person who's ever lived. Let that that's heavy. God has kept a perfect, accurate, and comprehensive record of every person's life. And the dead will be judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now I'm thankful for another book, the Lamb's Book of Life, right, in Revelation. But these books here, just the Book of Life, it's, it's everything that we've ever done from, uh, from, from beginning of our life until you know until we take our until we take our last breath and if we want to if we want to be judged by our works if we want to be judged by by what we do do you realize that there's religious systems in our world i'm not trying to be mean and nasty but their entire system is based on what they do and john has given us a little glimpse of the great white throne judgment he's kind of given us kind of the glimpse of kind of the end times of as we know it. And he's saying, hey, there's going to be a book that's open. And if I'm apart from Christ, if I'm not written in the Lamb's book of life, every single thought Ryan's ever had, yikes, I can't even go back seven days without shuddering with that. 
action, words, deeds, everything. And we're going to get judged by that. You remember several weeks ago, our good outweighs our bad. Well, that's a lie that's shaping the world. There's a lot of good that we're doing, right? But eh, it's not outweighing that bad. We're going to be judged. We, just those, that are, those that are lost. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be harsh. But sinners' deeds will be measured against what? God's perfect and holy standard, which God has clearly defined also in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Turn to 1 Peter 1, please. 1 Peter 1. We doing okay? All right? Okay. We're all right, I think. I know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a great topic. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad I came to church today. But listen, this is a lie that's shaping our world. And you and I, we've got to be equipped. We've got to be able to end conversations. You know, we went to uh, the bowling alley a few weeks ago. It was a summer activity, and you're interacting with people in conversations. You've got to, you've got to be equipped to be able to deal with these lies. Well, Peter says in his first epistle in, in chapter 1, verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You can also at lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the standard, guys. The standard is, uh, is God. Turn to Galatians 3. Okay, Galatians 3. Verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Church at Galatia. I enjoyed going through that book. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. That word's going to come into fruit. Really key here in a moment. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Yikes. That's a heavy weight. And then James, do you have to turn there? James 2.10, if you're taking notes, he says this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. Does anyone know what James says? Is guilty what? Oh. This is the standard. The standard is heavy. The standard is, is unbending. There's no, there's, no, there's no flexibility in the standard. God says, I demand perfection. I demand holiness. Now, you know what you and I do right there? Like, because that's none of us, even the one that, of course, is speaking to you. No prisoner before the bar of divine justice is going to be able to claim the perfect obedience that God's holy standard requires. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says. They've all come short of the glory of God. We've all been shaped in our iniquity. Ephesians 2.1 says we were all dead. We were all born. We were all dead in our trespasses and our sins. Remember last week? We looked at verse 1. We looked at verse 2. We looked at verse 3. Who remembers what verse 4 says at the beginning? But God enters in. Our hero enters in on stage and he gives us, of course, Christ. God's God is so kind and so compassionate. So in light of Revelation 20 that we just read about, the question that you and I need to ask ourselves, 
And the question that mankind needs to ask themselves is this. If the Lord perfectly knows all of our thoughts, if He perfectly knows all of our words, if He perfectly knows all of our deeds and the depth of our depravity, how can we possibly escape His righteous wrath? What I just described literally nailed every single person against the wall, right? And so what you and I need to ponder, and most likely you already have at some point in your life, if you're a believer, of course you have, but definitely mankind needs to ponder. If that's the standard, it's so high, it's so unbending, it's perfection, it's holiness, then how do we escape that righteous wrath? Well, God's justice, His holy, perfect justice, demands for every single person's sins to be paid for. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ met those demands. That's when you read the word propitiation in Romans 4, that He met those demands of a holy and just and awesome God. I am thankful that God gave us the requirements. I'm glad that we're not just trying to live down here on this life hoping, Ron and I talk about this often throughout the week, hoping that we can do enough for God. No, 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 I'm so glad that He just, here's the standard. Because then you and I can come humbly and realize, well, I can't do it, but Christ can. In Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, 5 and 6 if you're taking notes, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Are you still there in Galatians? Right? Remember Galatians 3.10? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law. Let's jump to verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ took your place. He was your substitute. He was, he was, he, he, he's in your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What's God's requirement? Perfect righteousness. You give your sin and the greatest exchange ever known to mankind, you get Christ's record. You get His righteousness. Now you can stand before God, Ephesians 1 says, in the heavenlies, blameless, accepted in the Beloved. Why? Because of Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, just write it down if you're taking notes. Who His own self bear our sin in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. But unbelievers, not having Christ's righteousness imputed to them, will themselves pay the penalty for violating God's law. Why don't you let that sink in a little bit? That's why Paul, in the book of Philippians, he's like, I don't want to stand in my righteousnesses. That was Johnson's version. He said, I, I, I don't want to 
I don't want to stand in my righteousness. Or I don't want to having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. I mean, the Apostle Paul, and he, he kept it. Touching of the law, blameless. Talked about being a Pharisee, the Pharisees. And yet he said, I count all of that, but dung. All of that is, there's no worth in that. He said he wants to be found through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, unbelievers, their transition into death is not going to be a pleasant one. Do you believe that? It's hard. I know that. That's the bad news. It's horrible news. It's a place called hell. It's real. It's, we read it says it's torment. It's fire. But that bad news is met with good news. And that Christ took on all of that. All of the the, 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 the wrath of God literally was fully poured out on Christ so that you and I can escape that wrath. And that is why, my friends, you and I, we need to share the message of Christ. Because they're getting pumped day in and day out with the world's lies. Oh, everything's great after you die. It is for the Christian. It's awesome. I would say I can't wait, but you know, you know how that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of scary, right? We want we want to live a bit longer, get that. But I mean, for us, it's, it's great. We get to see our Savior. We get to we get to go to heaven, which that place is being prepared for us now. I mean, it's awesome. But for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, it's horrible. And listen, there's no indecisiveness with this. There's no, there's no neutrality. That's what I love about the book of Mark. I mean, man, he just lays it out there, chapter after chapter. There is no neutrality. There's no, well, well yeah, maybe. No, no, it's either Christ or we're going to give an account for ourselves. We're going to give an account for our works. And so you and I, as, we are, as we're dealing with people and we're, we're, we're engaging with them, we're talking with people, I'd encourage you, get into conversations. Absolutely, you know, uh, give out gospel tracts, 100%. But as you're engaging in your life, see that person as that soul. Remember last week? See beyond their sin. Look, look, look beyond that and see, see the need that they have. Look beyond the woman at the well that was married multiple times and see that that woman needed living water. Jesus saw beyond that. The woman that's caught in the act of adultery in John 8 sees beyond that and sees the, the real need. Look beyond that sin. Don't label them by that sin. How many of you like to be labeled? We talked about this a little bit last week. It was funny. You, you pride? You lustful? No. Don't just label them by sin. See them for who they are. A soul that is literally in the balance. And either they're going to give an account for their life or they're going to allow Jesus Christ and his record to be their account. Listen, that is awesome news. That's nothing to be afraid of. That's nothing to be like, oh, I mean, our, our message is kind of, mm. well, yeah, it is, because then it becomes so great in Jesus. 
If everything was, hey, just do great out there, let me ask you a question. How much great? Are you the standard of how much great would be? There's a whole lot of religions that have become the standard of what is great. You want to know what God said is great? Perfect. And so we all come crushing underneath that. And so if it's, if it's, if it's what we do, then how much? And I'm still very young at 38, right? Appreciate that, Dave. And Dave, you're just like two years older than me, okay? Well, what if I died this week and Dave got to live two years older than me? How fair is that? Well, he had two more years to, to stack up more good. That's why it's totally level at the cross, right? Evil plane. Evil. Evil. Level. <laughs> you know what I meant, right? Level plane at the cross. Can I encourage you in your life this week to share the message of Christ? Speak life into people. Speak truth. Remember, every single time you speak truth, you are speaking life into people. These lies, they're, they're shaping our world. So those who presume upon eternal life without having repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, we want to, we want to impede their um, impending doom. We, we want to we get in there. We want to stop that with the message. And listen, if you and I, as believers, you've got to realize that Jesus Christ, he took, he took the wrath. Be encouraged in what Christ did for you and live out from that of his righteousness for you. Live from that uh, perspective. So we've been going through these lies. And uh, next week, we're going to look at our final lie. Again, we could go on this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But we're going to look at our final uh, lie for this particular uh, series uh, next week. And uh, that lie is going to uh, entail the, the, the idea of that there's not, enough, there's not enough evidence for God. And so that's just a lie. Ah! There's not enough evidence for God, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna spend some time looking into uh, looking into that. And it's so funny how our finite minds bring God into our courtroom and say there's not enough evidence. And uh, so that's an issue to begin with, right there. But so we'll we'll conclude our series uh, next week, uh, and I I pray that something's I know today kind of hurts a little bit, especially if you have loved ones that have gone on before you and you don't know. I, listen. I, it's, I, I get it. But for those that are still living, ah, let's make sure that we're getting uh, the gospel to them. And, uh, so let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love